Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. open with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15. So New Testament, and then you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, then the book of Acts, and then Romans. That's what we've been studying for the past couple months, and we're really close to finishing it. Next week, we're going to finish this study, and then we're going to go into our Advent series, and then right after that, we're going to do a study of the prophets, which I'm really looking forward to. So uh, keep that uh, in your minds. But today we are finishing up chapter 15. We've been going through the book of Romans, this letter written by Paul the Apostle to the Christians in Rome. And we've been going through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter from beginning to end. And here we are now towards the very end. We'll begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from uh, Romans chapter 15. We're going to be studying this morning from verse 14, but our reading today will be from verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any more room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what was collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the peace of God be with you all. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider these words, as we consider what they mean for us today, Lord, we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might see glorious things about you in your word. Lord, that we might not only hear your word and understand it, Lord, that we might also, this might also translate into action in our lives. Lord, would you transform our minds and work in our hearts by your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There they were out on the open sea. The wind and the waves were relentlessly beating against the side of the ship. The storm had been going on for several days now. The first couple days of the storm, all of their concern was how much of the cargo they would be able to save and how much would be lost because of the storm. But as day three, four, and into day six and seven and eight came on, more and more they began wondering if this ship is even going to survive the storm. And if any of the souls on board that ship will survive the storm at all. And if they do survive, 
Where will they even end up? Because they haven't seen the sun, they haven't seen the stars, the moon for days. They have no bearing on where they are, and the captain gave up a long time ago trying to hold that wheel straight and keep that boat on course. They've been driven off course by this storm. They have no idea where they're going, where they'll end up, or when they'll get there. If they do survive, that is, who knows if they will. They've been blown so far off course, they have no idea where they are, no idea where they're headed, or if they will even make it at all. And in the midst of this storm, there's a man on that boat, a prisoner, and he's thinking to himself, you know, I kind of wish I hadn't written chapter 15 of Romans, right? The, the man's name was the Paul the Apostle. And that storm at sea, we read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 27. It happened several years after what he wrote here when he wrote this letter to the Romans in which he told them at the end of chapter 15 about all the things that he was going to do after he wrote that letter. He said, as soon as I put down this pen, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he writes it all down here. I'm going to go visit you guys and I'm going to go to Spain. And he says, pray for me that when I come to you, I would just come in the blessing of the Lord. And he says, pray for me that I would be delivered from those in Judea who want my head. And guess what? None of his prayers were answered. He was not delivered from those in Judea who wanted him imprisoned. They did put him in prison. And guess what? He wanted to come to Rome and all the blessing. Well, he came to Rome, but not as a missionary, as a prisoner. You know, and several years later, after being kind of kicked around as a political pawn, you see, Paul had these great plans, and we know that nothing worked out according to his plan. And you can imagine Paul sitting there on that ship in the midst of this storm and maybe feeling a little bit of embarrassment over what he wrote at the end of Romans 15. Man, I was so confident in my plans. I thought I knew how everything was going to work out when I wrote that letter back in the day, but man, nothing has worked out the way that I thought it would or even the way that I prayed it would. There's a saying that goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. If you want to make God laugh, tell him all about your plans, right? What you're going to do and where you're going to go. Because so many times we make up all these plans, we have all these great ideas, and our lives go in a completely different direction. And God knows ahead of time that that's going to happen. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's the story of your life, right? You're like, that's me. I made a lot of plans. I had all these big ideas about where my life was going to go, how things were going to end up, and none of them have happened exactly the way I thought they would. Now, what do you do in those cases? What do you do in those situations when life doesn't go according to your plan? How do you react to that? Or maybe let's even take a step back from that and let's ask a more fundamental question. How do you even go about making plans in the first place? Like, what is the criteria upon which you decide what you are going to do, how you are going to plot the course for your life? That's a very important question to ask, especially this time of year as we get close to the new year and we start looking forward to the future. Well, here at the end of Romans chapter 15, we see that Paul did have a guiding principle for his life. And we see how that shaped the way, not only that he planned, but the way that he also reacted when things didn't go according to his plan. The title of today's message is Developing a Missional Mentality. And here's what we're going to see in this chapter. Number one, we're going to talk about Paul's missional mentality. And number two, we're going to talk about how to react when things don't go according to your plan. So Paul's missional mentality and then how to react when things don't go according to your plan. We'll begin by talking about the first one of those. Paul's missional mentality. There are three key aspects that we see in this text about Paul's missional mentality, what it was and what were the aspects of it. The first one that we see is this. 
key to Paul's missional mentality was the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel. Paul begins this section by saying this in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Here at the end of this letter, after everything Paul's written, he's laid out for them in detail what the gospel is and what it means for our lives, all the details of it. He's answered some frequently asked questions about the gospel. Then he talked about how the gospel transforms all of our relationships. And now here he's concluding, but he's thinking back, you know, all of these things that I've written them, I wrote them about what the gospel is and what the gospel does and, and how it changes your life. And after all these written these things, Paul starts to wonder, man, I hope these guys aren't going to take this the wrong way. I hope they're not going not to think that I was being presumptuous or, or that I am writing this because I think that they're ignorant or because I think that they're weak. Uh, maybe you've had a situation like that in your life. I know I certainly have, where you write someone an email or, or say a text message or some kind of letter and the person totally misreads your intent and your heart in sending that and your purpose, your tone in sending that message. And what you intended perhaps to be helpful or even funny, they read it as insulting or offensive. And that's exactly what Paul is worried about here at the end of the letter. He's a little bit worried that the Roman Christians are going to get this letter, they're going to open it up, they're going to read it, and rather than being encouraged and, and thankful for it, they're going to be offended by it and find it a bit presumptuous. Like what if they get this letter, they open it up, they read it, and they're like, hey, what does this guy think, that we're stupid or something? Like that we just are new to this, that we don't know the basics of Christianity? I mean, we've been Christians for years, some of them might say. And he's here telling us the basics of Christianity? Who does he think he is? Where does he come off? This guy's never even met us before. Paul realizes that they could take this letter the wrong way. And so here at the end, he writes these words to clarify his intent and to share with them his heart. He wants to, them to know what his motivation is in writing this. Because remember, Paul had never met these people. And so unlike some of Paul's other letters where he knew the people, he knew their church, he knew the situations that were going on, and he wrote to address certain problems and to help fix those problems, the letter to Romans is different. Paul had never met these people, and so as he writes to them, he wants to do two things. Primarily, what he wants to do is give them a resource, a resource that they can use for years to come. But he also wants to give them a source of encouragement. So how are you going to encourage people? He says, I'm going to encourage you with the gospel. So that's what he does. He gives them a detailed explanation of the gospel. We saw that in chapters 1 through 8, and then even into chapter 11. He wants to encourage them by reminding them of the gospel. And secondly, he wants to give them a resource that they can use for years to come. Something that they can duplicate, something that they can distribute, something they can use as new people come into the church, as new Christians are coming in. Something they can use to train them and teach them. And truly, this is a resource that even today, as we study it, that's what we're doing right now. We're benefiting from this resource. And so Paul says, hey, look, the reason I wrote you this letter, it wasn't to be presumptuous. Just understand, my calling is to be a minister of the gospel. So if this is new to some of you, that's fine. Because here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is something that we need to be constantly and consistently reminded of. The gospel is something we need to be constantly and consistently reminded of. Did you know that? Did you know 
that you never outgrow the gospel. Did you know that? You never outgrow the gospel. You never get to the point where you move beyond the gospel into the deeper stuff. Let me tell you this, friends. There is no deeper stuff than that God became a man and gave his life for us. There's no deeper stuff than that. See, the gospel, the core message of Christianity, it's the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And that message has implications for every area of our lives, from the way we spend our money to the way that we work to the way that we live in our relationships with our kids and our spouses. In every area of our lives, the gospel has implications for it. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. The gospel message, who Jesus is and what he did. Let's talk about who he is. Jesus is God incarnate. That's what we're celebrating as we get closer to Christmas. That God took on human flesh. He became one of us so that as one of us, he might save us. And how did he do that? What did Jesus do? Well, he lived, first of all, a perfect and holy life. Whereas we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus came and he fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of God in his life. And then you know what he did? He offered that perfect record to us as a gift. He said, my perfect record, I'll give it to you so that when you stand before God, you will be totally blameless so that he will accept you in me. And in exchange, what did he do? He took our sins, as he gave us his perfect record, he took our sins, our shortcomings, and he suffered and died for those on the cross to set us free. Now, why would God do all that for you? Very simple, because he loves you very much. I hope that you know that. I hope that you know that in your heart and in your mind and that you feel it, that God loves you very much and he didn't want you, he doesn't want you to perish. That message is the gospel. It's the good news. And let me tell you this, you never outgrow that message You never move on past that message. We need to be reminded of it over and over and over. And so it's not only non-Christians who need to hear the gospel. You know this, Christians need to hear the gospel as well. Because the gospel is not just the means by which we become Christians. The gospel itself is the means by which we grow as Christians. They say the mark of a good teacher is repetition. Let me say that one more time. The mark of a good teacher is repetition. And sometimes people get this idea in their minds that what they need, what we need, is some kind of new revelation from God, right? Some kind of new message from God or some kind of new information about God. But let me tell you this. What we need is not a new revelation. What we need is to take the old and unchanging truths of God's word and apply them to our lives in a fresh way for today. We don't need a new revelation. We need to take these old and unchanging truths from God's word and we need to apply them to our lives in a fresh way. What we have here is the full revelation of God to us. Everything we need for life and godliness. And so what we need to do is take these old and unchanging truths and apply them to our lives in a whole new way. See, there's a saying that goes like this. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's probably not true. 
So if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's probably not true. So just keep that in mind next time somebody comes along and tells you that they had some kind of new revelation from God, something that nobody's ever heard before. I mean, think about it. Do you think that God would really let people go for this long and, and then give us some new information? What about all those people before us? Did they not need to know that stuff too? See, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's probably not true. What we need to do is take the old and unchanging truths of God's word and apply them to our lives in a fresh way today. And that's why Paul says, hey, what I've written to you in this letter, I know it's not going to be new information to some of you. I know that some of you are very familiar with this. Maybe you've been Christian for a long time, but I need to remind you of it because no matter how long you've been a Christian, you never outgrow the gospel and you constantly need to hear it consistently again and again so that it can continue to do its work of transforming your heart, transforming your mind, and transforming every area of your life. If you look at Paul's letters, including this one, you'll notice that he follows that pattern in all of his letters. And it's true of actually all the New Testament letters, not just Paul's letters. Notice this. You'll notice this when you read Paul's letters. He never says, hey, you should be generous because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't say that. He not, nor does he say something like, hey, you should forgive other people because that's what Christians are required to do. Nor does he say that with any area. You know what Paul does in every area, whenever he talks about some area of how we live our lives, he ties it into the gospel. He says, look at how Jesus lived. He who was rich became poor for our sake, so that through him we who are poor might become rich in him. In other words, Jesus was so generous He was generous to the point of giving everything. So therefore, in response to that, let us be generous with what we have as well, even to the point of holding nothing back. He says, let us forgive just as in Christ God has forgiven us. Think about what Jesus did for you and how could you not, in response to that, forgive others. You see what I'm doing? Or you see what he's doing? He's using the gospel as the motivation, as the foundation for everything in the Christian life. In other words, the gospel isn't just how you become a Christian. It's also the means by which you grow as a Christian, by hearing the gospel again and again and applying it to every area of your life. You know, the the second aspect as we go on to Paul's missional mentality, first we see the centrality of the gospel. The second thing we see is the importance of the mission. So core to his missional mentality was the importance of the mission. In verse 16, Paul describes his work as proclaiming the gospel of God to the nations, proclaiming the gospel of God to the nations. Now, in some of your Bibles, it's going to say to the Gentiles, whereas in other Bibles that you might read, it's going to say to the nations. And so that's the same word, actually. The better translation is really to the nations because the word Paul uses there in the original Greek text is the Greek word ethnos, which probably sounds familiar. It's the word from which we get our word ethnicity or ethnic groups. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, I was given this calling from God to preach the gospel to every nation, every ethnic group, every people group in the world. See, for the Jewish people, the reason it uses the word Gentiles here is because for the Jewish mind, the world was divided into two categories. You're either a Jew or you weren't a Jew. And to be not a Jew, a non-Jew, is to be a Gentile. So it was Jews and the nations, ethnos. And so what he's saying here is that God gave me a calling to bring the gospel to all nations of the world. What Paul's conveying is that his passion, the focus of his life, is proclaiming the gospel to the nations, all people groups around the world. See, Christianity is a missional faith 
because we have a missional God. You know that? Christianity is a missional faith because we have a missional God. We have a God who left the comfort of heaven and came to us. The very ultimate missionary, Jesus was. See, the word mission comes from the word send. Missio in Latin literally just means to send. And that's what Christianity is all about. We have a God who looked upon us, saw us in dire straits, saw our pain, our hurt, our suffering, the fact that we were lost and dying, and he sent his son on a mission to rescue us. But then the son, Jesus, not only did he come to save us, but you might remember that after he saves us, he turns around to us and says, just as the father sent me, now I send you. So Jesus was sent, and then Jesus sends us. Christianity is a missional faith because we have a missional God and we have a missional Savior. So to be a Christian is this. It is to be one who is saved, but it is also to be one who is sent. To be a Christian is to be one who is saved and also one who is sent. And the whole Bible is the story of God's mission to bring redemption to our lost and broken and fallen world. And the, the incredible thing to consider is this, that he has chosen to use us to play a part in that work, in that mission. Paul says this in verse 16, that the work of proclaiming the gospel, he says it is a priestly ministry, a priestly ministry. The job of a priest in the Old Testament was to represent God to the people. So the job of a priest in the Old Testament was to represent God to the people. Now think about what that means for you and me. If the mission, if the work of spreading the gospel is a priestly ministry, what does that mean? It means that when you do the work of proclaiming the gospel, you are doing a priestly ministry. You are acting as God's representative to that person that you speak to and to whom you speak the gospel. So whether it's talking to your neighbor and the conversation somehow turns to Jesus in the gospel, whether it's in your community group where you're just getting to remind someone as they talk about something going on in their life, you're able to bring the gospel into that situation, remind them of how the gospel applies to that particular situation. That's a priestly ministry. You get to be God's representative to speak the message of truth and life to that person. In other words, being missional and looking for opportunities to speak the gospel to people, that's not just an additional add-on, like an optional add-on to the Christian life. It is a core, central part of what it means to be a Christian. Paul says in verses 18, or 17 and 18, he says this, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul the Apostle was probably the greatest theologian in the history of the church, especially the early church. He was the greatest theologian. And here what we have in Romans is kind of his magnum opus of Christian theology, his work as a Christian theologian. But here's the thing that's interesting. Paul says, it wasn't my work that, as a theologian that thrilled me and excited me and got me out of bed in the morning. You know what thrilled me and excited me? The thing that I want to boast the most about and brag about the most? It was my work as an evangelist. That's what enlivens my heart. Not writing theoretically about God, but getting out there and bringing that living truth into people's lives to help them go from death into life. He understood that he had been sent by God on a mission to bring God's love and truth to the world. Now let me ask you this. Do you know that that's true of you as well? Do you know that? Do you live with that thought in the forefront of your mind, that awareness that you have been called by God 
And therefore, you have also been sent out by God. So if you've been called to God, you've also been sent out by God on his mission. This mission to seek and save that which is lost and broken. To do his work of dispelling lies and bringing truth that gives life. To do this work of binding up that which is broken and bringing healing and restoration and reconciliation. And we get to speak the words of eternal life into people's lives. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way that we develop a missional mentality is by keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. The way you develop a missional mentality is by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2 of Philippians, he says this. He says, I want you to have the same mind, the same attitude, the same outlook that Jesus also had. That although he was God, he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. See, Jesus lived his life with a missional mentality. He was hyper aware of the fact that he had been sent by God to this earth on a mission for a purpose. And so the focus of his life wasn't to make himself comfortable. It was wholly to fulfill the mission which the Father had sent him here to carry out. You know, a few years ago, I read a book by Sebastian Junger. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was a New York Times bestseller, but it was called Tribe. If you haven't read it, it's a very interesting book, very short and fast read. It's called Tribe by Sebastian Junger. Now, Sebastian is not a Christian, and I don't agree with all of his, da- or all of his analysis or all of his conclusions, but what he wrote about in this book was very interesting uh, in regard to what we're talking about here and the need for mission. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.